At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. It's been a while. It's been a while. Stained. Uh, the Yankees <laughs> have announced uh, that the Somerset Patriots will be the Jersey Diners this year. So I'm wearing the regular Somerset Patriots hat to celebrate. Uh, Thomas and I got together today. We are uh, we're bored of the offseason. We've been bored of the offseason for a while, but it's time to get to spring training. We're just a couple weeks away. Uh, is the Yankees offseason over? Are there a few more reunions ahead of them? Are we upset if it is over? Quite frankly, I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready for the season to start, but the offseason won't let me be done with it because there are still like 18 or 20 of the top MLB trade rumors for agents still on the market. So I don't want to think about the offseason anymore. I want to think about the regular season. I want to think about what it's like to see Juan Soto. I want to think about Spencer Jones making a leap or Jason Dominguez returning. But with Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, and Jordan Montgomery all still unsigned and everybody acting like a Reese Hoskins pillow contract with the Brewers is a big deal, that means I have to keep thinking about the offseason. So is the rotation done? Is there more to come in the bullpen? Perhaps a couple of reunions? What's to be made of the Hector Neris rumors? What's going on with Blake Snell's market? Are the Yankees still hanging out in it against all odds? Plus a change to the road jerseys that boomers like? And a new Hall of Fame debate after Joe Maurer was inducted. Also, caveat, I like Joe Maurer. I'm glad he was inducted. But the difference in war between him and a couple of Yankees candidates just does not add up. And it's time to give some Yankees another look. We'll yell about that later. Thanks for joining us. You can find us here every Monday, Thursday. Sorry we took a break. Uh, Thomas Carinante was in federal prison, but now he's back and we are ready to do a show. Uh, we're going to be here every Monday and Thursday, 2 o'clock Eastern time per usual. Uh, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you are uh, more of a, an auditory person, if you're a listener, uh, please subscribe. Uh, I'll bring Biscuit on by the end of the show, guys. I see the comments. If you watch uh, the Baseball Insiders, we actually had Biscuit on the other day. Uh, he was actually on twice and he was pretty annoying on the show. But he will be on the show by the end of this one. I'll go grab him. I'll make Thomas vamp. Uh, maybe I'll do that. I'll do that while Thomas is uh, introducing a, an offer for you fine folks, which he's going to do right now. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the show. I heard you actually have an offer, which will bring my dog onto the camera. I got an offer, baby. Uh, yeah, so we took Monday off. I was away, um, and uh, nothing is happening. So what do you want? You want us just? You want to just stare at us this whole time? I mean, that's fine. We can do that. Um, but better news: DraftKings is here. Yankees fans, pay attention because DraftKings is offering a fantastic sign-up bonus for new users. You could place a $5 bet on anything and instantly claim $200 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. The best part of this entire thing is that you will receive both awards even if your first bet loses. Doesn't matter. Risk-free. We're having a good time. This is what it's all about. Account gets replenished with $200 in bonus bets. Then you have a field day. Come on, baby. Uh, when you join DraftKings and you're signing up for this offer, please make sure to use our code. It is Yanks Go Yard. And not only do you get this offer when you punch in the code Yanks Go Yard, but you also directly support your boys, Adam and Thomas. We're having a good time here. Um, we hope we're, we're entertaining you. But yeah, long story short, you join DraftKings, you get some free bonus bets. We get some help. Everybody wins. So if you've been considering signing up for DraftKings and cashing in here, make sure to use that code YanksGoYard. Maximize that first bet and those same game parlays. I hate same game parlays, but you can have fun with them. It's it's If they're free, it's all good. Um, this offer is only available to new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. Good times ahead. Um... I just, I don't know. I need something to happen and nothing's happening. I don't know why 
We're still waiting on some of the biggest names to sign. We were told, we were promised, the American people were promised that after Shohei Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto signed, um, that we would see some sort of version of the floodgates opening. And I just don't think that's happened at all whatsoever. And well, there's I gotta, not a lot of time left. Spring training is in like three weeks. It's in like three weeks. Pitchers and catchers report like February 14th or 16th. We have an article about it. You guys should Google it and you'll read our article. That'll help Google. us. Uh, please Google it right now. Uh, that was Biscuit to pep up the, the pre-show uh, business. Uh, he's tired. You guys saw him yawn, so he had to go back. Uh, to <laughs> but, um, we have another bit of pre-show business to get through before we get going and talk about this dull offseason. We thank you for joining us. Uh, we officially passed a milestone on YouTube last week. We passed 1,000 subscribers. Wow. It's like a small milestone to some, to many, perhaps, to me. Uh, you know, it's not that large, but it's not small. It's not nothing. It's not insignificant. What it means is that we are now able to open up opportunities for you to help support the podcast more directly. So you can go to DraftKings. You can help us out there. You can use our code YanksGoYard. But you can also support the podcast by joining our channel as a member. Now, what does that get you? Access to a new defined community. We are starting a YanksGoYard Discord channel for members. Uh, It's cheap to enter, $2.99 a month. All you have to do is join uh, as a member of the channel, subscribe, get you that Discord access. We're going to be turning it into uh, a hub for discussion, game chat, uh, in-season conversation. You keep the conversation going when the podcast is off. We want to turn it into a community for Yankee fans. But again, it's just we have a good time on the podcast. We love talking to you guys twice a week. We thank you all for subscribing, liking, spreading the word. We want to try to build that community, make it even stronger, keep the line of communication going between shows. So come join us in there. Hopefully we'll have a good time. We'll make it a place the worth uh, worth coming to, worth being a fan in. And hopefully this is a season that's worth discussing and worth having game threads and worth having day-to-day conversations because we want it to be a big one. Uh, and and today is the day we decide if the Yankee season <laughs> offseason is over and it's time to begin the regular season, I guess. Uh, you can, I've had, I've debated a wall a little bit about whether I'm good with them being done, what I want to see. It seems like the consensus here at this point is that rotation is probably fleshed out. Uh, we'll get to the Blake Snell of it all later. And I get that they do have five big league starters. They do. Um, you want more, but they believe they have more the minor league level. So Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez and Carlos Rodon, who are already working out at the spring training complex, as the comments have mentioned here. Then Marcus Stroman, recent signing, and Clark Schmidt. That's five. That's a very good big league rotation on paper. Beyond that, you'd love a veteran presence you can count on for the sixth spot. You'd love someone to float in and out, but they like Luke Weaver. They like uh, Clayton Beater and Will Warren and Chase Hampton at the minor league level. They like these guys. And so they'd rather have those dudes than uh, turn Clark Schmidt into a six starter by signing Blake Snell or by signing some depth guy, by signing, you know, there, there are still some depth floaters on the market. You know, they could have signed Seth Lugo a while back. They could have signed Michael Waka. But they, they, they prefer their prospects to spending two years and $32 million on those dudes. And so it seems the rotation is likely set, but it seems the bullpen still has one arm left to be inserted. Because uh, right now they're relying on Victor Gonzalez, who they acquired from the Dodgers. Luke Weaver's the long man. Uh, there's one spot open. Scott Efros is coming back. We might have all forgotten about that. I certainly did. Uh, there's a spot open for Marinaccio, for Luis Heal. Um, you know, I, I there's Cody Poteet, Cody Morris. There's a lot of guys that if they got the last on the bullpen and they earned it, you'd be like, okay. But Jonathan Loazga is a walking injury risk. Risk? Is that even being? He's more than a walking injury risk. He's a walking injury Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy Canely often battles ailments. If those guys, if one of those guys goes down, you have the depth to cover. If both of those guys go down, very possible. It'd be nice to have somebody else because Michael King and Wandy Peralta and Keenan Middleton are all gone as of now, which is why it seems like the Yankees are considering reuniting with, uh, Peralta more likely and Middleton a little bit less likely. Uh, look, if they think Peralta's over the triceps issue from the end of last season, I'm fine with it. The regression monster reared its ugly head for the whole second half. I was hoping someone was going to pay him like three years, eighteen million, and the Yankees could be like, "Whoa, we're not going to not going to give you three years." So bye. But nobody did. So now they're all trying to find common ground. If they find the right common ground, fine. 
but he's a little bit less reliable than a guy like Middleton at this point, which is crazy to me. Yeah, this is all, I don't know, man. I really just don't know. Um, I don't know what this roster is. I'm fine with them being done too. I'm looking at this and it is what it is. Like, I think they have, I think they've drastically improved the lineup. Call me crazy. Um, that, that, but you add in those two left-handed bats and you change the entire complexion, um, and kind of eliminate Giancarlo Stanton as, as an essential figure. Um, because all these past years where, um, his production was so important, um, the Yankees have sunk because of his lack of availability. Now I don't think that's that much of an issue as for the bullpen, like, and the rotation, uh, we talked about how I, I don't, I, we really don't think the rotation is as bad as everybody thinks it is. I know it hinges a lot on Carlos Rodon getting back on track, but um, you still have enough starters in theory to get through the first half of the season. And for the bullpen, like you have to give some of these people a chance and you have to see what you're working with. I do agree that there are some injury issues here. I, Jonathan Loisega is a problem. Um, I'm surprised. You and I have been trying to get rid of him for a year plus. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that they're still running like they're, they're, they're running it back with him. I understand that he's cheap. I understand that he does have nasty stuff. And when he's on, he does have the talent to be a ninth inning guy or at the very least an eighth inning guy. But yeah. Uh, the problem with this team over the last few years has been the lack of availability from so many important people. Um, you have uh, Scott Efros coming back from injury. Um, you have Ian Hamilton coming back from injury. You have Ron Marinaccio coming back from uh, what happened to Ron Marinaccio? We still don't know. It's, uh, it's we still do not, don't know. Do not look at Ron Marinaccio's minor league numbers from last year. I beg of you, don't look at them because if you think he got demoted. And he found it, and the spark came back. You are wrong. He got worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I mean, like, I want to get the, the way that they're talking up, like Clayton Beater and Will Warren and um, and Chase Hampton. Like, you have to you have to give them a little bit of potential room in the beginning of the season to to contribute in some capacity, so you know what you have. Um, and again, the options out there aren't a whole lot. You want to talk potential reunions, Keenan Middleton, Bondi Peralta. Like I'm not against either of those, but the Yankees don't want to add too much to the payroll now that they're going to be over the $300 million threshold. Sure. Bondi Peralta seems to be what commanding eight to 10 million a year. Everybody costs double too. Yeah. So when the rumors were Hector Neris at three years, 50, it was like, Nope. And now that they're like two years 20 or two years 18, he's still going to cost $18 million a year if the Yankees trip over that tax level. Is that worth it? Uh, I mean, if you win a World Series, yes, absolutely it is. But you want to talk financial trepidation, we get on the Yankees for not spending enough. Of course, the Yankees, they print money. But if you should ever be careful with your money, it's daring to pay $18 million a year just so you can have Hector Neris. That's when you got to be like, wait a minute, we got to pay Juan Soto. Is that smart? Yeah, you go at this point, it has to be a luxury addition that's going to add true impact um, to the roster, which, you know, in my opinion, would be Blake Snell, um, which I guess would have been Josh Hader, even though I am not really uh, I've been fully against paying closers that much money ever since the Chapman burned us time after time. And we gave him a billion dollars to stay here for like seven years. Pirates. Legend. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, but Horace Chapman now on the Pirates, in case you guys didn't see that. Um, but yeah, again, fine with them going into the year with this roster. I think drastically improving the offense, the manner in which they did, is going to prop up the pitching staff. Um, and if injuries inevitably happen, it is what it is. You have the young prospects to bring up and, and see what you have in them. Um, Baseball America, something something Adam found here, yeah. uh, was uh, essentially hyping up the the Cody Morris thing. Um, the trade with uh, the Guardians that uh, sent Florial to Cleveland. Uh, Cody Morris apparently is, uh, I guess, higher rated than we had imagined, or he's looked at, he's viewed more favorably um, in the uh, prospect ranks than. Correct. Yeah. He, he cracked the top 30 immediately, yeah. which I think a lot of people were like, ah, oh, random flyer for random flyer. It's a top 30 Yankees prospect. He's 27, and it's a story. I was too, right? What? Florial was top 30 before he graduated. 
I think he was top 30 on pipeline. I think baseball America over the years was like, eh, oh, they no, thanks, him? no oh, thanks okay. to this guy. But what I want to know is where he ranks on the guardians list. He's probably top 20 there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Guardians always have a nice little deep pool of prospects. So um, clearly they had, they had room to deal and and that was the move that they made. Uh, but yeah, you, you got guys here. Remember last year, pitching wasn't really the problem. The bullpen was tops in the league, although it did give up that, uh, so many untimely runs. I know how frustrating that was, but that was also a result of the offense being terrible. Um, Garrett Cole pretty much carried the pitching staff, but then again, like Clark Schmidt had a very good run of form for, for that um, little while. Um, so, you know, Michael King came in, came on at the end of the year to put forth those, what, nine, 10 starts that were fairly impressive. So I think the Yankees do have the pieces. Um, and then again, you see what you're dealing with at the trade deadline. And instead of, instead of, you know, spending money on tertiary assets at this point, cause there's really not that much to go by in free agency, then you start trading big pieces at the deadline to make your team a bonafide world series contender. I truly think that's the way you go about it. Um, if there were a, tr- a lot of attractive assets out there and the Yankees were sitting on their hands, um, I'd be complaining a lot more about their lack of spending in free agency this year, but they spent $45 million on the trade market. Um, so you can't really complain about that. No, I don't think you can. Uh, I really don't think you can. Uh, the comments bring an interesting point as the offseason concludes, I guess. Would you sign Bellinger on a one-year deal if he decided to bet on himself? Sure. And then trade Alex Verdugo? Yeah, I mean, I, I would do that. I would entertain doing that. It makes you wonder why they got Verdugo in the first place. But I still think uh, – I think Bellinger lands somewhere in the – this is why the offseason has been so boring, by the way. Underrated. Everybody talking about the Japanese stars holding up the market, and it's true – Everybody talking about Scott Boris holding up the market, and it's true. But one, there's not that much talent available. It's not a great offseason. Paying Blake Snell a ton of money, you know he's got the highest walk rate in Major League history as a starting pitcher. You know you're making a bet. Yes, he does. You know you're making a bet if you sign Blake Snell. Jordan Montgomery, good number three starter, wants a ton of money because he's coming off a world championship run in Texas. Tough bet. You got the money lying around, make it. But if you think you're going to be hamstrung budgetarily moving forward, don't do it because uh, you're paying a, a solid pitcher for his 30s, which is why the Yankees traded him in the first place. I'd welcome him back. But that's the crown jewel of the free agency class beyond, you know, below Otani and Yamamoto. And the other thing is that Montgomery wants to be a Ranger. The Rangers are just collecting the money to sign Montgomery. There's really not a debate here. If the Rangers have the money, he's going to be a Ranger. Same with the Cubs. Cody Bellinger just is waiting around to be a Cub. They're trying to figure out how much money the Cubs will pay him. These markets are limited. This is just players who know what team they want to sign with, waiting around for that team to come to the conclusion that this is the final offer, and and the Rangers are waiting for a TV deal to resolve itself, and then those players will probably sign with those teams. Blake Snell is the only one where I don't know where he's going, and I guess it's worth talking about. Sure. Uh, the Yankees, the day they signed Marcus Stroman, the morning they, the morning of the night they signed Marcus Stroman. I guess morning of the night is how a day goes. So I said it right. <laughs> uh, earlier that morning, it was reported they'd offered Blake Snell 150 million dollars over five years, and he turned that down, and yeah. that's fine. And so they move on to Marcus Stroman. Uh, the Yankees don't want to play. It, that's a healthy offer. Uh, Blake Snell wanted to play that game, and the Yankees did not. Saw some conflicting stuff in the comments yesterday too, from people being like. He's asking for 200. He's asking for 220. If you offer 150 and he says, no, walk away. Hey, I get that. I don't want the Yankees to come up from 150. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, hey, engage. Like, try 180. Maybe he'll come down to 190. That's not what I want. I don't want to pay more than 150 for Blake's now. 160 max. But what I want is if the Yankees are the only team that's in the Blake Snell conversation, they should remain in that conversation and not rule it out entirely. Uh, I think signing Stroman was the right move. I think making sure that you have someone like Stroman and you have a five-man rotation and you don't have to get desperate is a good idea. But reports from Mark Feinstein last week said that Blake Snell, the only formal offer he's received is that initial Yankees offer. He is talking to other teams and other interested parties, according to Feinstein. Although, of course, that's also what you would say if you weren't doing that and you wanted people to think you were doing that. Uh, that's all well and good. I, I think that would probably include the Angels. I think that might include the Giants. I don't know who else is involved. The Mariners are lurking as a dark horse. And if the Yankees can't do it, I hope they do it. But 
I'm not saying the AU should come up from their initial offer. They shouldn't. They should hold firm. But if no one else is offering Blake Snell, they shouldn't close the Blake Snell door. They should be willing in a week to be like, spring training for pitcher reports is in two weeks. You got any other offers? Does 150 look nicer to you now than it did then? What about 140? Where are the other teams you're talking to? Anywhere close? Because we can still offer you 130, 140. It's not dead yet. They would be wise to keep that door open. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't outside of, I guess, Snell maybe wanting to go to the West Coast um, from Seattle. think that might be it. Seattle's um, the only one of those teams that's, like, at all enticing, though. Just finishing his career in the Angels. Yeah. Ugh. Giants. Mm, yeah, a lot of this a lot of this comes down to like the player leveling with what they want. If you want money, great. Go to one of those teams and probably be irrelevant for the remainder of your career just based on the track record that we've seen over the last decade or so. Um, especially the Giants completely falling off the map after 2014. Um the Angels not doing much of anything during Mike Trout's uh tenure there. Uh, they had the two best players in baseball at once. They couldn't get to the playoffs once. Um, the Mariners, we know they're dealing, I guess, with some money issues. I don't know. Uh, clearly, it's self-inflicted uh, based on everything that we've seen. Everybody's everybody's complaining about their owner, right? Mets fans calling Steve Cohen a fraud and a charlatan. Um, Yankees fans mad at Hal Steinbrenner for not spending in free agency, even though he spent on the trade market and the payroll is now over $300 million. Um Royals fans hate their owner. Mariners fan. Who's the Mariners owner? Like, I don't even know these people's names, but um, they've been unhappy because they've shed payroll and clearly have a semblance of a winning roster. And yeah, while the AL West is fairly good, I don't think it's, it's not like you're in the AL East where it's super top heavy and the competition is crazy. Like you have, you're already a top three team if you're the Mariners in that division, and you have a lot of factors helping you out. The Astros have a ton of offseason questions coming up next year, yeah. um, which could provide distraction. I know I'm not doubting the Astros in any capacity because they prove me wrong every single time, but that's a significant problem. Then you have the Rangers, and the World Series hangover is a very real thing, and the Rangers technically – have not gotten better this offseason. They've barely made the postseason last yeah. year. They, they won the World Series, but they made the Almost playoffs by the skin of their teeth, blew a monster lead in the AL West in the second half. So congrats yeah. to the Rangers. Evan Carter was a big help. But if you don't think that team you know, can be got over the course of a 162-game season, then you're wrong. Yeah, and guess who saved their entire season? Jordan Montgomery, and they don't have him right now. He pitched lights out down the stretch, kept them in so many games, won them games that made that difference to sneak them into the wild card, and then was a postseason, you know, horse for them. So the door is open. The door is very much open there. So I, the the frustration for Mariners fans is understandable. Then again, um, if they're not seriously pursuing Blake Snell, there's no reason the Yankees. There's no reason for the Yankees to still not be involved here. I know you do have the conflict though a bidding against yourself and you don't want that to be the case. I think that's very much probably what the Cubs are dealing with right now um, because it's simply dumb to offer more money when there's nobody else offering more money. Um, We saw the Yankees kind of do that with Garrett Cole in 2020. And that was just a necessary evil because they had lacked an ace for so long and they really needed to, to break the dam with that. But in this market, there's no one you don't need you know, your team doesn't need Blake Snell. Your team doesn't need Cody Bellinger. They're great to have. They're talented players. They're great assets. But like, you don't need to be you don't need to be upping the offer fifty, seventy five million dollars just to appease the free agent. You just okay, great. If you don't want this, then we have to move on. We have to figure something else out. Um, again, though, the Yankees have the luxury to go the extra mile and make that purchase. If he's still hanging around and the Yankees want to offer the that $150 million again, I don't see why not. It it gives your rotation length for the next three, four years of all these guys in their primes. Um, and it also, in this might sound crazy, but it gives you a little bit of insurance over Carlos Rodon. I think Carlos Rodon is bouncing back. He has, he has um, too much uh, showcase talent in the past to not bounce back. He also has um, a very... 
um, intense attitude with how he holds himself accountable and how hard he works. So um, unless it were injuries that were to completely derail him, I, I think that there's a good chance of him at least becoming a number three-esque starter. Um, and honestly, a number three-esque starter probably is worth around $25 million in this market. Like, that's just how it goes. Um, if you get Blake Snell, too, though, um, you got somebody who really has pitched well his entire career. Blake Snell's never really had a blow-up season. He's had a lot of injury issues, nicks here and there. Um, but you're still getting 20 starts out of them every year, and they're still really friggin' good. So I think that's a worthwhile purchase. Um, and I know it's crazy to be like, oh, well, you're spending $150 million to ensure a $160 million purchase in Carlos Rodon. But I mean, that's how you kind of have to think as the Yankees. Like, this is how they should be thinking. Oh, we screwed up one offer. Not that you have to go out and spend an extra, you know, $700 million. But yeah, if another good pitcher comes up, like pitching assets are hard to come by. This is a two-time Cy Young winner, um, could really do a lot of good work for you and help um, mentor all the other young arms that you have coming up through the system that you're so confident in, um, especially now that they have had a bit of an issue, not a big issue with thinning that pitching depth. Um, this gives them more insurance to let the other guys develop um, and give them time to pick and choose who they want to be at the major league level. Um, and then at that point, if – they hit home runs on a number of these guys, gives them more trade ammo. So I think there's a lot of positives here, but yeah, absolutely no shot. They should be removing themselves from the Blake Snell discussion. If um, they're the only real offer. And congrats to everyone too, who, who knew from the beginning that Rodon was going to be a bad signing. Proud of you, <laughs> Proud of you guys. Um, I mean, attitude problem is, is, you know, the comments it's valid. We saw some weird issues last year that I don't think anybody was expecting. Uh, blowing kisses to the fans, ex- ignoring Matt Blake as he imploded on the mound in his final start of the year, which I would love to forget. Uh, but previously, Rodon was viewed as a guy with a perfect attitude, mm-hmm. a guy who was a fierce competitor, screaming after strikeouts, barking at opposing hitters, exactly the kind of edge New York needed. Now it kind of goes to show you that edge doesn't mean all that much if the player is struggling. Edge can quickly boil over if they're not getting the results, and it could be an overrated commodity if you see – uh, a team that's that's dominating but is somewhat robotic you should be thankful you should be like okay well we're winning so i'm glad like i don't i don't need a team to be winning with fire i just need them to be winning but i'm a believer in rodon the stuff plus again says the stuff was the same last year as it was the year before i think it's as simple as he had a forearm injury in his first spring training a back condition he got diagnosed with and then the command was awful if he shows up in amazing shape this year and it looks like he is in much better shape and he's not un- not experiencing discomfort, and he can find that command. I think he's going to be a very effective starter. His starts at the end of the year against the Pirates and Red Sox uh, and Astros on the road, to an extent, were pretty great. Red Sox game at Fenway gave up a home run to the first batter he faced, and then mowed them down for the next five and a half innings. Um, typically, we it's funny. Usually, it feels like the guys we sign uh, suck against the Red Sox and play pretty well against everybody else, and it colors our view of them because we're like, well, you couldn't beat Boston. He destroyed Boston in his only mm-hmm. appearance against Boston. Pretty cool. Uh, but then was terrible against everybody else. So we don't remember that. And Boston was kind of, you know, on the fringes of the wild card race. But I'm a believer in Rodon until I'm not allowed to be anymore. Because I just don't think it could disappear unless the back injury is worse than we were led to believe. Yeah. But we saw the stuff last year and we saw him have dominant games. So I don't think it's just gone, gone. They need to ensure against it. And like everyone is saying, the year could everything could go right or everything could go wrong or somewhere in between. They're probably a wild card team. Last year, everything went wrong. Everything. Everything. Except for Garrett Cole, everything went wrong. Aaron Judge was amazing when he was active, ran his toe into the wall at Dodger Stadium. Crazy injury. Crazy, you know, it's just what, do you, what can you do to combat that? It's not even a soft tissue or a muscle thing. It's just like, Hey, slam this going to concrete. So, like, that's when you know it's not your year. And hopefully, this is the year. Be great if it was. Juan Soto's around. So, let's see what it looks like. Uh, Blake Snell wants to join. That would be fantastic. Uh, But yeah, I just don't know. Uh, Shout out also to the, you know, to the Yankees minor league system. Before we move on a little bit, too much chatter about how uh, rival fans keeping like they don't have the pieces to make a big trade. You know, they have a weak farm system. The Red Sox have dedicated themselves to rebuilding that farm system. You know, the Red Sox make any trade they want. The Yankees can't. Well, the Yankees just traded for Juan Soto and they still Mm -hmm. have Chase Hampton uh, and they still have 
Will Warren, and they still have Clayton Beater, and they still have Luis Heal, and they still have Henry Lalanne at the lowest levels of the minors, who's going to make his full season debut this year, and they still have Carlos Lagrange, and offensively they have Roderick Arias and George Lombard Jr., and they've got Volpe, Peraza, Pereira, and they've got uh, six prospects in Baseball America's top 100 right now. How many do the Red Sox have? Not six. Uh, I actually don't know, but I think it's Meyer, Anthony, Teal. Yeah, I think they have three. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's those three. The Yankees have six. 72 is the lowest ranked Yankees prospect in the top 100. Baseball America is still the gold standard. And Baseball America said they flirted with putting Lombard at the back part of the top 100. He got some top 100 votes and could easily be in there with a big year this year. Lalanne could be in there with a big year this year. Everybody seems to believe in him. It's a 6'7 lefty with polish. Uh, but right now, the Yankees have Dominguez at the top of that Baseball America mountain. And by the way, we've all seen Dominguez, right, at the big league level. I saw him. It, it was like a week. It was great, but it was a week. And before that, he was kind of getting the overrated tag, right? Uh, people yeah. remembered that he was someone who had made a lot of money and and was compared to Mickey Mantle or whatever bullshit was Trout, going. Mike Trout, Mike obviously Mike Trout, Bo Jackson, and <laughs> everyone knew the name, but a prospect assessors didn't feel the same way about him that the uh, reputation did. He was number eighty seven in twenty twenty two's preseason top one hundred, sixty seventh at the start of last year, fifty fifth mid season around the time he came up. Now sixteenth. That's the respect. That's what we were told we were getting with Jason Dominguez. And Baseball America is the most nuanced assessors in the prospect game. They did not bump him 40 slots because he had a good week. They did not bump him 40 slots because he hit a home run in the Crawford boxes in Houston. So that's important. People are now beginning to decide, okay, Dominguez might be really legit. Uh, Oswald Peraza, by the way, not on this list. It's Spencer Jones at 46, who everyone believes could make that leap this year. Pereira. People acting as if his month in the Bronx played himself out of all consideration as a trade piece. Oh, who would want that loser? He's basically vintage Miguel Andujar. He's number 67 on Baseball America's list. And the top two guys in terms of exit velocity on this top 100, number one, Spencer Jones, number two, Everson Pereira. That matters. Roderick Arias at 68, Austin Wells at 71, Chase Hampton at 72. That's a huge showing from a team that I was told, again, didn't have prospects and didn't have a farm. Better than the Red Sox showing uh, top tier just behind the Orioles and those, you know, obviously the Dodgers are what the Dodgers are. But that's that puts the 80s in sort of a 1A tier behind those very top farm systems. And that's an impressive place to be and explains why they're not spending like crazy. It's why they have Alex Verdugo in a walk year in left field right now. So they don't have to rely on Willie Calhoun, but so that next year, they can have Dominguez and maybe Soto in right and maybe Spencer Jones by midseason and Judge. And then maybe you've got four of the best outfielders in baseball really quickly and two of them cost nothing. That's that's my two cents. It's something to be proud of. Yeah, I think it's even more considerable because um, the Yankees have not had a lot of prospects come up and actually succeed. So you have to think that that – goes into some of the thinking from these evaluators where it's like, ah, oh, is this fool's gold? Is this, you know, are we overrating the, like, are we overrating the system? Are we giving them too many top, you know, 100 people because they are the Yankees or because, you know, Spencer Jones is particularly large. Um, <laughs> you don't know how all this thinking goes, especially when you start looking at um, the, the general discourse around it. Like Spencer Jones has gotten a lot of hype because he is of similar size to Aaron judge. Baseball America, like you said, very nuanced, very careful with their evaluations. You think they're sitting there and they're like, well, you know, a lot of people are saying uh, Spencer Jones is a similar size to Aaron Judge. So yeah. I think that should that we give him 10, 10 spots ahead for that. That's what no. his blurb said. It said tall, right? It was just like <laughs> Spencer Jones. He's big. He's a big guy. Unique, uniquely sized player that we don't see that often. Um, no, they do these evaluations and they consider all these metrics that have become more important in the modern day baseball world. And uh, that's where it comes from. So <clears throat> that's why I think uh, a, it's a huge accomplishment and B we don't have to be fretting about signing, signing, signing and trading, trading, trading right now. Lineup should be good. Pitching staff should be adequate. And then you can make decisions after that. And you got to give the young kids a chance, especially the ones who are highly rated. I know some of that has been frustrating. Anthony Volpe's rookie season, probably not exactly what we all had envisioned, but 2020, 
considerable. Um, Oswald Peraza, I think he's not. He hasn't been given a fair shake. He's inconsistent playing time as a young player. It's just not going to work for you. Everson Pereira, one month here and part time player and got hurt. Like it that's was a bummer. Not, he was bad. I was yeah. not happy. He was bad. Yeah. But come on, guys. It's not a real evaluation of who that player is. So like that's where we have to consider all of this and and weigh all these factors and and take the rankings a, a little bit seriously. Again, they're prospects. We have no idea if they're going to materialize. But the Yankees have been very much on the outside looking in with player development, um, international signings, uh, and all of that has kind of turned over the last four or five years. Uh, and now it seems to be coming uh, coming to a head in a good way. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, ex- I'm excited to um, get more of a youth infusion here. You know – how great of an effect that has on every use. When you see these, well, the Braves, everyone likes to talk about the Braves. You bring up these young players. It's like a whole different element to the, to the roster, um, to the, to the competition night in and night out. It's an infusion of energy unlike any other. So like bring more of those guys in, get more, get, get more of that type of talent and that type of uh, energy here. And it's, it's going to really going to be a completely different team. And you mix it in with some of the best players in the league, like, they're going to be learning from them. It's going to be it's going to be a great you know give and take in terms of what we'll, we'll, we potentially have the chance to look at. So bravo, bravo! Uh, we're excited. I mean, again, the, there's so much about the season to be excited about. It's not just the big league stuff. It's the, it's the minor league season as yeah. well. Um, and I want to see what Spencer Jones is. Uh, I really do. Minor league uh, jerseys. Yeah. Jersey diners. Jersey Diners. I like the Jersey Diners. Um, <laughs> I like them a lot. I'm probably going to buy the gear. I wish that the, the problem with the Jersey Diners is that the secondary logos are better than the. Uh, I didn't even look at them yet. The secondary logos are better than the real one. The real one's cool. It's cute. Uh, but, oh, that's sick. Yeah. Uh, but there's like a steak and eggs in the shape of Jersey. That's better. There's a orange handle coffee pot with a J on it. That's better. And there's a pancake with baseball melting butter on top. That's one of the best logos I've ever seen. But the, the Jersey Diner primary, I'll probably get the primary logo on a sweatshirt. I'll probably get the hat. We'll probably just roll. But Definitely they, they the should hat. use some of the alts moving forward. I want the pancakes. I want them in pancake colors, like powder blue with a tan pancake color front panel. I'm just giving you a, look, this is free money. Uh, yeah. Eli Fishman, we know you follow the podcast. So just uh, let us know. Yeah. Ship um, us some uh, ship us some of the good stuff. Ship us some swag. I'll keep wearing the old one, but ship us some swag. Um, good comment from Mo Money in here, too, asking if there's a deal to be made with the Mariners. Uh, they do <laughs> need bats. Uh, I'm not into training Glaber Torres right now, but I do think there's a funny world where you guys are talking about a Cashman surprise splash move where it's like Pereira and Lombard for Brian Wu or for Bryce Miller. Uh, or just like Pereira for Everson Hancock and paving yeah. the way for the Mariners to sign Blake Snell. I think it's like a two-part thing. I think it's like if we pull that off, then the Mariners should just go ahead and give money and a rotation spot to Blake Snell. Um, we give him a Teoscar Hernandez replacement in Pereira. I don't hate that. I think no. it's interesting. And those woo is really coveted. Not my cup of tea, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. And I also, I think fans are overvaluing him, but also the you know, the numbers below the hood are quite impressive. And I think if you get him for like one top 100 prospect, then that's totally acceptable. Fans are like three minimum. And it's like, no, come on. He's had 12 starts and he's Brian Wu and he didn't really show us much. Uh, But if you can get him for one and a Lombard type, then yeah, I think you do that. Um, But obviously a lot, lots of, lots to come this off season. Still, hopefully three weeks till spring training. Uh, The jerseys at the big league level changed Mm. this week, not just the Jersey diners, uh, kind of nuts, like very low key. The New York Yankees made a big alteration to one of the two jerseys they wear. This would be less big a deal if it was a team that was not the Yankees, but the Yankees don't do city connect. They said they're not doing it per Hal Steinbrenner, no plans, even though every team was supposed to do them. Um, then, I mean, that's one thing. Fine. A lot of teams right now have so many jerseys that they're introducing the City Connect and they're having to drop one. Because Nike, as a rule, you're only allowed four variations. There are teams with so many jerseys, they're like, we got to dump our all because we're doing City Connect. The Yankees just have two. Pinstripe home, Gray Road. The Gray Road has had white trim around the letters since 1973. 
every article I read about this change said they had not changed the road jersey since 2015. I would pay somebody a hundred dollars to tell me what the fuck the change was in 2015. I don't remember that slim fit. They look exactly the same as they have since the seventies, since I've started watching Yankees baseball, but they're getting rid of these sleeves with the Navy white Navy piping, which I really like, and I'm going to miss that. And they're getting rid of the white trim around the letters, which to be fair, I also really like, uh, but they're going back to the New York road jerseys with just blue, uh, from the fifties, the Mickey Mantle jerseys that just say New York with no outline. The old heads love it. I, I got to get used to it. I think my official take is I'd be really excited if they were high quality throwbacks. I'm worried about the Nike of the whole thing. Cause the version that they showed a photo of hanging up in the stock room was like bending <laughs> and the numbers were folding in on themselves and it looked a little chintzy and the kerning was weird and the letters were folding at the center. So if the jerseys suck and are low quality, then I don't like them. But if they are high quality, they have the chance to look really cool and uh, sort of signal a return to history for the Yankees. Not that the Yankees don't signal that anyway. That's kind of their whole deal, but still. They're going back in time to try and uh, rediscover the mojo. Um, honestly, like you, I read this at first and I was like, I don't even understand what they're doing. I haven't even noticed. I just don't look at I, my attention to detail is just so poor. Um, but now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, holy shit, it's completely different. I like the unilatch.com. It's just like this markup. It's like if you're ordering a t-shirt online and they show you the, they show you like the mock version of it. Like people are looking at this like, yeah, I'm totally pumped. This looks great. I'm like, how the fuck do you know? It's a little drawing. It's an outline. But then you go back to like the early seventies and what is it? What is the first change in 74 on the, on the road jerseys they said, or something like that. Um, some article says they made a change in 2015. I beg of you, tell me what that was. Because I've been, I was watching the Yankees in 2014. I was watching them in 2015. The road jerseys look the same to me. And I was Googling yeah. it and and Uni Watch and, and MLB logos are the best at this. And they had 1973 to present on this jersey. So I don't know what the hell that was. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look back at Mickey Mantle wearing these jerseys and it looks like a, it looks like a, a sweatshirt with the sleeves cut off. Um but yeah, I mean, there can't be a world in which these are low quality, right? I, I can't even fathom that being the case. If you're doing a jersey change um, in this day and age, it's high quality stuff. Um, that would make a good Seinfeld bit too. What was it? The polyester? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> cotton uniforms. Shrinking. <laughs> Made all the change in the world. But yeah, I mean, this is cool. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it. Maybe it brings back some old memories. Maybe they maybe they act on it. I don't know. Maybe maybe it spurs some sort of change. But uh, I like the classic look. I think we all do. Um, it'll, and you know what it's going to do? It's going to make um, it's going to make Yankee haters hate the Yankees even more because mm-hmm. uh, they're going to oh, it's like the old the Yankees of old, the big bad evil Yankees. They're wearing these plain gray jerseys. They have no character. It's all yeah, they're probably bringing back racism. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, like, look, I, I don't think I really have to answer for racism of the past. Typically, I, I was born in New York in the 90s. You know, I don't, I don't root for the organization from the 40s. Uh, and if anyone should have to answer for that, it's Red Sox fans. But <laughs> yeah, these jerseys are sick. I, I'm, I'm on board with it. Any I'm change is good. I'm on board. The jerseys we're used to were not uh, worn by a good Yankee team except for the 70s. Uh, Thurman Munson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the 77, 78 Yankees had the Navy with the white trim and it looked great. And then obviously the nineties and 2000 dynasty that we're all used to won in these jerseys, but the Yankees of the past, uh, Babe Ruth wore uh gray with Yankees across the front on the road. Now they wear, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're doing the fifties version. They're doing New York. Uh, but I like it. It looks a lot like the field of dreams game. I'm excited to see it in action. I've been long been an advocate for an alternate all blue. Uh, so if I can't get that, then I might as well get this. Uh, should we yell about the Hall of Fame for a couple of Yeah, let's have, I like this. I think we should. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. So a lot of people... It's impo- It's almost impossible to start this argument without sounding like an old man who hates war. Uh, I don't hate war, and I don't hate Joe Mauer either. I, I hate, hate war. I hate Thomas it. might hate war, so I'll, I'll turn it over to Thomas for that. But uh, I think war is an is interesting measure of someone's effectiveness and maybe helps you appreciate underappreciated players and Hall of Fame candidates sure. more. Um, but I do not think that the Hall of Fame should be the house of war. I don't think that your higher war than somebody else should automatically mean you are in and somebody who is extremely famous and extremely impactful in a sport and had an unbelievable peak should be out because their war doesn't measure up, which is what we're getting dangerously close to. Like I I even like 3000 hits, 500 homers. You're in like counting numbers. That's why when people are like Craig Biggio in the hall of fame, really? I'm like, you got 3000 hits. What do you want me to do? Like, I'm not keeping him out. Uh, Harold Baines is sort of the gold standard of what the fuck lately. Uh, he stuck around for a long time, compiled like 2,800 hits, and Tony LaRusso was his friend and got him in on the Veterans Committee. He had the same war as Paul O'Neill. So if you want to get mad, literally the same, 38.8 according to baseball reference. So if you want to put him in, put O'Neill in. It's fair to get mad about that. There are a lot of Yankees you can get mad about. Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, uh, David Cohn, who had 63 war, if we love war then David Cohn should be in more than Bob Feller, more than Jim Bunning, more than a lot of pitchers who are very much in the Hall of Fame right around Don Drysdale. Uh, but what I'm angry about today specifically is uh, three guys. Three guys, two more so than the third, but I'm definitely mad about three guys. Joe Maurer, uh, in my opinion, is a Hall of Famer. I thought we were going to have to have a long, protracted, upsetting argument about Joe Maurer because – he had a high, high peak, right? He hit like 365 as a catcher and won the MVP in 2009. It was crazy. Defensive God, uh, top 10 in MVP four times, six-time All-Star. But by the time he turned 31, 32, he started to break down. He became a first baseman, and he became merely okay. Very good, but... 265 with a 718 OPS in 2015, 752 OPS with a 261 average in 2016, uh, seven homers only in 2017, but hit 305 back up to 801 OPS, trademark 36 doubles. Uh, his final year, 2018, sort of a, you know, he was a starter, semi-regular, powerless first baseman, six homers, uh, 729 OPS. Extremely good catcher. From 2004 in part-time duty through 2013. Uh, But then he was pretty much a first baseman and he was kind of okay. Right? Uh, Don Mattingly should be raging right now at the fact that his career did not get considered the same way Maurer's did. Because Maurer went in first ballot. It wasn't even a frustrating conversation. He just went right in. He only got in by four votes, but if he didn't get in this year, he would have gotten in next year. Mattingly couldn't get in when he was getting voted on by the writers. He couldn't get in when he was being voted on by the Veterans Committee, most recently snubbed last fall in favor of Fred McGriff, who he had the same peak war as. They basically met. He was 35.7 in his peak seven years. McGriff was 36. Almost the same player, but I would argue that McGriff... Great player, probably a Hall of Famer, almost 500 home runs, bounced from the Braves to the Dodgers to the Rays late in his career, started with the Padres and the Blue Jays, and was a gun for hire. A really good baseball player who played for a lot of teams. Don Mattingly, the most famous player in baseball, arguably in the 1980s, the face of the New York Yankees, the most famous team in the sport. MVP winner, MVP runner-up, 
through age 27, age 21 through 27, 857 games played, 327 average, 372 OBP, 529 OPS, uh, 529 slugging. Joe Maurer during that same period, 327. They both hit 327 in 836 games from Maurer. Maurer had a 31-point higher OBP, 407, and less slugging, 481. So Mattingly better power hitter. Maurer better at getting on base. Was Don Matt? Oh, but Maurer's a catcher. Mattingly's a first baseman. Mattingly's a nine-time Gold Glove winning first baseman. Maurer gets the rightful bump, but Don Mattingly the best fielding first baseman of his generation, neck and neck with Keith Hernandez, who should also be, say it with me, probably in the Hall of Fame. Right now, only two Hall of Famer first basemen have ever won Gold Gloves: Jeff Bagwell and Eddie Murray. It's an offense first position in the Hall. It should be both. Mattingly did both. Mattingly began to break down. We all know it. That's why he's not in the hall. Age 28 plus, hit 289, 346, 418, and 928 games. Still very good, not great. Mauer in 1,022 games after that age, many of which were spent at first base, 290, 373, 405. Again, very similar. This is a first ballot Hall of Famer versus a guy who can't get in. Mauer's war was 55. Mattingly's was 42. And that's the whole story. That's all people need to point to. Well, Maurer's a catcher. No, I know. Well, Maurer's war was 30 points higher. No, I know. Mattingly more famous. Mattingly, the, arguably the best hitter of the 1980s. Him, Brett, Schmidt, Boggs. He should absolutely be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And secondarily, Thurman Munson in an 11-year career, 46.1 war, equally iconic, was on the way towards finishing a career. You know, he was only 32 when he was tragically killed. I, I don't know how long his career would have been. I know he was breaking down at that point, but if we're doing peak, he was just off Maurer's pace. If Maurer's in, he should get reconsidered for whatever reason. They didn't do a special election in 79 when he passed away, nor did they do one in 80. They put him on the ballot in 81. He got 15% of the vote and just never grew from there. I do not know what happened there. He should also be in the hall. And as a friend brought up this week, a point that I think is very important to make, if the Baseball Hall of Fame were run like the Basketball Hall of Fame, if we give the best players on championship teams just sort of a head nod, like, yeah, you mattered a lot and you're in. You played for 12 years. Uh, and, and also just counting stats, like Mitch Richmond is in. There are a bunch of guys in the Basketball Hall of Fame who you're like, what? Okay, that guy was an all-star a couple times. If the Baseball Hall of Fame was run like the Basketball Hall of Fame, the 90s Yankees would get more representation. Right yeah. now, it's Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter, and to a lesser extent, Boggs and Tim Raines from the 96, and, and Raines was on the 98 Yankees. Oh, they don't count. It's, they don't count to me at all. Yeah. Uh, it's wild that Andy Pettit is not in and is definitely going to have to wait for the Veterans Committee. It's wild to me that Cone is not in. It's wild to me that Bernie Williams is not in. And if Joe Maurer skated in, then Jorge Posada, one of the best offensive catchers in baseball history and of that generation, should be in as well. I know he has 1,600 hits. I'm well aware. I know he is, again, 13 points lower in war than Joe Maurer. I'm sorry that his defense was so subpar that the Yankees only won five World Series during his tenure behind the plate as the primary catcher. Maybe if he was defense first and he racked up more war, they could have gotten eight or nine titles. I say the same thing when people say Derek Jeter's range sucked. Okay, cool. Maybe if he had better range, they could have won nine rings. But they won five during his career. Pretty good for me. Uh, Posada and... uh, and Munson are a little harder to argue just because some of the counting stats are odd. Munson's career was so short. I get it. But Mattingly Maurer is such a weirdly perfect comparison. It has to be brought up today. Yeah. And I'll even take this outside of Yankees universe. So uh, anybody who can't stand us talking about the Yankees will listen. Um, I know Joe Maurer. I mean, Joe Maurer's, I think, a deserving Hall of Famer in terms of what he accomplished. Three batting titles, pretty fucking cool. I'm excited he's in. I thought it was going to be really hard to get him in, and he's in. That's not the trouble here. That said, I think first first ballot's a little bit ridiculous um, in terms of just, you know, how how hard it's seemingly been to get into the Hall of Fame for so many players that the average base or, you know, a, a, a diehard baseball fan would, would call fairly iconic. Um, Joe Maurer gets in on the first ballot. Cause why? Cause he's a catcher. Okay. You're right. You know what? Different positions are held to different standards. David Ortiz, best designated hitter of, our t- of all time, arguably definitely deserved it outside of the ster- uh, the, the positive steroid tests that we're just going to overlook. We're going to overlook that. Yeah, it's fun. Only David Ortiz gets his positive steroid test overlooked because (laughs) according to 
the anonymous survey testing where he tested positive, there were 104 tests and I believe 13 are in dispute uh, because, you know, it's an old steroid test. Uh, that said, there's no reason to believe Ortiz is one of the 13. There's no reason to believe he's telling the truth when he's like, I'll look into it. And every other player with a PED connection that secure has been ruled out of the Baseball Hall of Fame, except yep. for David Ortiz. That's a fact. Maybe he didn't take him. Maybe it's a false positive. I don't know. But he has a positive test in the bank, and we're just acting like he doesn't. Yeah. Um, not to get not to get off course. Just important to note that in there. Um, we understand that there are different that, that there are different cases for different players. Like an offensive catcher of Joe Mauer's magnitude, it's one of the rarest things you'll ever see. But if he's gonna be if he's gonna be um, viewed like that on that scale, which is totally fine. The previous conversation we've had are players going through these lights out, like fucking blackout stretches of play for like five or six years that impacted the game so greatly. And they were literally like Tim Lincecum, perfect example. Tim Lincecum is not getting in the hall of fame, but you will never forget Tim Lincecum's run with the San Francisco giants, Fernando Valenzuela, another one, incredible six years after that, not much, but you will never forget his his play and his time at the Dodgers and what he was able to accomplish. Um, who there, there was, there was one more notable one that, that we had talked about previously. Um, it'll come back to me, but either way, like Johan Santana, Johan Santana. Uh, all the pitchers of that era are not going to the hall and I get it, but Felix Hernandez, Johan Santana, Cliff Lee, Matt Kane, like yeah. a generation is just not going. Yeah. And then, like, you want to talk, like, counting stats, too. Like, counting stats matter so much for the Hall of Fame in terms of – and this is not me criticizing who's in. I I want more people in. That's what I'm just trying to say here. But, like, what are Joe Maurer's counting stats? 143 career home runs? 2,100 hits? A 306 average? Really good. But, like, an 827 OPS? Sure, that's that's good. He was a doubles beast, right? Yeah. Did, he, did he ever lead the league in doubles? Yeah, no. Not once. Not once. MVP, uh, triple crown, not not triple crown. Uh, what, what is it when you win all of the average OBP? And you know what? I don't know if that has a name, but it should because he yeah, did should, that. Right? He, he I, I did that in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Joe Mauer, one of the best players we've ever seen. But also yeah. that is one year. You know, two thousand ten. Tim Lincecum, one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, Joe Maurer also never hit more than 13 home runs in a season outside of that 2009 MVP campaign, which is fine. But like, we're talking counting stats here. I don't know what counting stats here outside of the three batting titles and the MVP get Joe Maurer in the hall of fame. It's the positional value. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the voting, uh, came the, a lot of the, um, the voting love came in, which again, I don't blame. I would have. If I had a ballot, I would have voted Joe Mauer in. I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's, but like we are going to not consider so many other players who had similar runs to Joe Mauer from what he was 2000. I, my reference here, 2006 to 2013. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons. There are very much a number of players out there who have had a run in between six and eight seasons that deserve Hall of Fame consideration, and then just didn't what have the last five years of regression to either stat pad or to just prove that he had a career longer than, than 10 years. Like, I don't, I just think there needs to be a revision and and we need to come back. And war is another thing like Don Mattingly 42 war and 14 seasons. You're going to tell me he was three wins above a replacement level player every year. He was better than that. He was objectively better than that. And everybody who watched baseball knew that. So that's why, like, I, I I'm not disrespecting the calculations. It's just that can't be the end all be all. Like, there there needs there, there needs to be other um, considerations that are just outside the numbers. Um, and I think part of that has to do with did you define an era of baseball? D- d- does a certain generation uh, is a certain generation of fans never going to forget you? Did you know? Did your postseason prowess put such a del- an indelible mark on the game that? you are literally part of history and they can never change it. Like Andy Pettit, most postseason wins of all time. I'm sorry. How many people can say that? The answer is one. It's one person who has the most postseason wins of all time. I don't make up the stats. And I want Bumgarner in too. And he's I not want Bumgarner in. in too. Incredible run. Like I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why we're yelling, um, but I just think that 
there needs to be some sort of revision. And I, it is a shame because having this conversation does for me, it sounds like I'm trying to knock Joe Mauer down a peg because he got in first ballot and he didn't exactly have the stats to get in first ballot based on what we've seen in the past. But now when you look at this criteria, you're like, wait, if he's getting in first ballot and doesn't have the counting stats and we're just viewing him through the lens of being one of the best hitting catchers of all time, which is valid, then why are we not looking at Tim Lincecum's, you know, five, six year run as one of the best pitchers in baseball as an unstoppable, you know, an unstoppable short track record that maybe might not be replicated in our lifetime. Uh, it, it's just, it's just worth talking about because there are, I, I just think there's more um, maybe what's the word I'm looking for. Um, it's, it's more, it's just more like intangible criteria. Like you can't put a finger on it, but it's like, I will remember you, you were, you, you did, you, you were considerable and and I will never forget that. Um, and, and that is the case with so many other players. And Don Mattingly is one of them. Like Yankees suck during his reign, but Donnie baseball face of the Yankees was the won an MVP award. One of the best defenders at the position of all time. Like, why is that? Why are we looking at his hall of fame case and being like, well, you know, he maybe didn't play long enough. And, uh, didn't quite get, you know, to the 250 home run mark. Like, what is that? What is that benchmark anyway? Like, it's either you're 500 home runs in, or more, or you're not. And every five, and every person under 500 home runs can't not get in. We that that can't be that can't be like the 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 deciding factor on your Hall of Fame case. So I don't know. Just the it just warrants a greater conversation, in my opinion. And every other uh, player, like from who's a face of a franchise in the eighties is in mm-hmm. yeah. right. George Brett face the Royals. You're in Robin Yao face the Brewers. Welcome. Uh, Mike Schmidt face the Phillies. Thanks for showing up. Uh, those guys are all great players. Ryan Sandberg face of the Cubs. Uh, but if you're the face of the Yankees, most impactful, important franchise in baseball history, and you're the face of the franchise during that era, you're just, you're not in you're, Wade Boggs face the Red Sox in Don Manley face the Yankees. No, thank you. Didn't play long enough after the 80s, even though he made it to 95 and was still a very serviceable first baseman. Also, one final point, put a bow on something you said, postseason greatness. We're doing uh, a lot of people didn't vote for Billy Wagner this year, even though he has the lowest batting average against of any pitcher in Major League Baseball history. He's the toughest to hit reliever or pitcher in general that we've ever seen. Uh, and everyone, some people, he missed by five votes. And Crazy. some people discounted him because of his bad performance in October. I heard Mike from Mike and the Mad Dog, uh, or Mad Dog, sorry, not Mike Francesa. I heard Mad Dog on MLB going, didn't get it done in the playoffs. I'm sorry, I get disgusting in the playoffs. I could, couldn't vote for him. Okay, fine. 14 <laughs> games, 11 and two-thirds innings of Billy Wagner in the playoffs? That's your cutoff? Oh, he had a 10 ERA in 11 and two-thirds playoff innings that I don't remember. Okay, so if we're disqualifying Billy Wagner based on 11 playoff innings, then are we qualifying Andy Pettit based on going 19 and 11 with a 381 ERA and 276 and two-thirds playoff innings? Or do we only do it to knock somebody down? Do we only say bad in the playoffs in really limited sample size? You're out. Good in the playoffs. We don't care. Also, David Cohn... And his 60-plus, I want to say David Cohn and his 62 B-War would get a long evaluation if he were hitting the ballot today. 62. Especially with all of his posts. Again, 8-3, and 3-8 ERA, 21 postseason games, 18 postseason starts, one rings in 96, 98, 99, and 2000, and 92 with the Blue Jays. Five World Series for David Cohn, and he was an equally good postseason performer. Yeah. Um, I I would I want to say hey if his 62 war and all that postseason prowess was hitting the ballot these days oh boy we'd have a Mike Mussina type conversation about this guy he'd see his numbers go up every year instead of debuting on the ballot in 09 at 3.9 percent and immediately getting kicked off we would have the David Cohn debate I want to say that but guess what Andy Pettit also 60 war also all that postseason prowess he's on the ballot right now and we're not having that conversation. Maybe it's the Yankees. 
maybe it's that tenuous PED connection because he also has a PED connection, which is a weird one. It's weird that that's true, but it's true. Uh, but if we all accepted David Ortiz's apology, I don't know why we didn't accept Pettit. If we let Gary Sheffield languish on the ballot with 500 home runs because of his PED connection, but then all of a sudden this year, he's the fastest riser on the ballot. He almost makes it to 75 in his last year because I guess everybody decided between year nine and year 10 that they forgive everybody who ever took steroids. And so Gary <laughs> Sheffield's in. Uh, it's just ridiculous inconsistency. Maybe that's why Pettit's not getting that momentum. Maybe Cohen would have different momentum. Uh, David Ortiz's election maybe changed everything, or maybe Rob Manfred coming out and saying, yeah, we don't know if he used steroids actually just to get him off the hook changed everything. I don't know. All I know is that it's woefully inconsistent, and Mattingly's a Hall of Famer, and so is Joe Maurer. They should both be in. Yeah. And scene. And scene. We had fun, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I didn't think we had much to talk about today, and then we absolutely did. Pretty proud of this episode. Proud. If you joined us, come back on Monday, 2 o'clock Eastern, or Thursday, also 2 o'clock Eastern. We'll be talking any offseason movement, uh, Yankees and league-wide, just to expand it. And if you are here, if you've been here from the start, consider joining us and becoming a member on the YouTube channel. If you do that, if you become a paid member You'll be one of the original in the Ring of Honor in Monument Park. You will also be joining our Discord channel where you can ping Thomas and I between shows, bother us. Hopefully the conversation gets great, and hopefully that really gets going by the time the season starts. We want that locked and loaded by April, so please join us if you can. I am Adam Weinerb alongside Thomas Carinante. You could find me on Twitter at Adam Weinerb. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes, that's where I will be taking my Barry Zito Hall of Fame case. You guys can talk to me. Tim Hudson, Hudson, think about it. Yeah, Tim Hudson. Uh, Barry Zito, 23 and 5 with a 275. He made 33 or more starts. I'm sorry, 30. Well, he made 34 or more starts for one, two, three, four, five, six seasons and 32 or more starts for 10 seasons. I don't know. Now it's not Hall of Fame worthy, but the one Cy Young in 2002 was pretty damn cool. CC's getting, getting in next year. Yeah, CC damn right getting in. Better get in. Um, I don't know how you could have a. I don't know how you could have a better resume in terms of like m- being memorable and having all those uh, the the boxes checked off. Yeah. Um, and like the 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 uh, the road back from from uh, what he what he had suffered from and dealt with and and the regressions and all that. So yeah, let's go CC. Um, well, I'll tell you us. what, that'll be a podcast. If he doesn't get in, that'll be, be a podcast. podcast. Yeah, a podcast, a standalone. Nothing else talked about. Nope, nothing just, else talked about. Just um, if you want to talk more, we're at the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Um, head on over to yanksgoyard.com. All the content is there for you. It's slowing down, but we still got topics. We still got talking points, baby. Please, we appreciate you guys reading and listening. Um, you keep the engine going. Let's do it. Um, and until then have yourselves a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday with an episode. Hopefully something happens. I want to talk more about stuff. Um, but thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you soon. I do too. Let's talk about stuff. We'll see everybody on Monday. What's so special about hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. Hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.